have a story for you. I want to share a little bit of my background so you guys can get a little bit more familiar with me. I'm the youngest of three girls, and my oldest sister is six years older than me, and my middle sister is four years older than me, which made it where I could kind of watch them go through those sequences of life, those chapters in life, those moments where I'm watching them go to prom, get their first boyfriend, go to college, move away you know, from college for the first time. I was the kid left at home and loving it with mom and dad. I was like pre-empty nest, and I was like, you know, being an only child isn't so bad. And, you know, I, I had the privilege of watching them, you know, just go through the chapters of life, those natural maturation moments we all go through. But my young, my middle sister, I should say, she's four years older than me, two years younger than my oldest sister. And she went to Bible college. And within literally the first month of being in Bible college, she met her husband. She calls my parents and she's like, I met my husband. I'm bringing him home for Christmas. You're going to love him. And we're all like, wow, we can't wait to meet him. And so he comes and we're all there for Christmas and he's awesome. We love him. They did in fact get married. They have a great marriage. They have five children. He's awesome. But my oldest sister was watching these events happen in her life and she's like, hold up. I am the oldest. There's a hierarchy in this family. Why is this happening for my middle sister and it's not happening for me? And what at first became kind of an irritant for her soon became a place of pain for her. And then when my middle sister then had her first child and my sister wasn't even in a relationship, you can imagine how much more severe the situation became. And my sister, and she would laugh if she heard me say that she's not a suffer in silence kind of a person. She is a suffer to the masses. I'm going to let you know what I am suffering about. And so her suffering, her pain, her trial, became the pain and the trial of the whole family to the point where my mom's like, we are fasting as a family for breakthrough because we don't only, you know, I know Kathleen, her name's Kathleen. Kathleen wants to get married. We need Kathleen to get married. We need the breakthrough, God. Anyone relate? You don't have to raise your hand, but you know what I'm talking about if you have that person in your family, right? And so we're, we're fasting and we're praying, but, you know, the calls are becoming more frequent. She's very upset. And she was, you know, she'd gone to college graduated. She had had hopes to get married or meet that person in college. Didn't happen. Then she got a position as a youth pastor. She's a single woman as a youth pastor. And then that position over time, she just felt like it wasn't the right fit for her, but she didn't know what quite what was next. So my parents were like, just come back and be with us and kind of figure it out. No pressure. And she was like, I don't want to move back home. I already moved and I want to like live my life. And it felt like she was going backwards. And yet, God had a very divine setup for that season of her life, which, is, which ended up being a couple years. And during that time, God did a beautiful work in her life. But there also came an end to that season. And she felt then at that time, she was supposed to go to Colorado Springs and be a part of a church in Colorado Springs. But she didn't want to do it alone. So she, she kept hesitating on the exploration of that idea because in her heart, she was like, I only want to make a move or do some sort of life change if I'm married. So she had a prerequisite in her mind as to what she would do or what it had to look like in order for her to do it. Anyone relate to that? But finally, my dad, being an incredibly kind man, recognized my sister wasn't going to take that risk unless she had someone to do it with. So my dad, being the father of three girls, gets how girls are, and he's like, guess what? I'll go with you. So my dad booked the flights, and he flew with my sister to Colorado Springs, and they check out this church that my sister feels called to be a part of. Possibly she wants to explore the idea. 
At the end of the worship set, my sister actually recognizes that one of the guys connected to the worship team, she actually went to Bible college with, and she remembers him, and she's like, oh my gosh, I didn't know he was here, and right during the transition time, he comes, he's like, hey, Kathleen, do you remember me? She's like, I do, what's so crazy, what are you doing here? He goes, well, I've been here for a couple of years, and I'm part of the worship ministry here, and what are you doing here? And she said, oh, well, it's the funniest thing, I feel like I might possibly be called to move here and be here, but... I wasn't sure, and my dad came, and we're just going to check out some apartments. We're just going to kind of, I want to check out the church. I just want to see the city. And he's like, well, I'll meet you at 2 o'clock. I'll take you to a great spot. I'll, I'll show you I'll show you some apartments. There's some great ones near where I live, and I'll show you some spots. And so she's like, wow, he's being super kind. Like, that's really, really nice. And, you know, remember, my sister was struggling with even coming to explore the idea because she didn't want to do it as a single woman. And so they go back to the hotel before um, this young man's name is Dan, before Dan's going to come to the hotel to meet him, to take him out. And my sister begins to cry again to my dad, poor father, and <laughs> cry again to my dad. And she's like, I do not want to do this. I don't, I just, I told the Lord, I just didn't want to make another move. I didn't want to have a major life change again, being a single woman. I wanted to do it with my husband. At that moment, Dan calls from the lobby. And he's like, I'm here to take you to explore, you know, the city and check out the apartments and put a pause there for just a moment because you have to understand the backside because there's two sides to every story, right? And the other person in the story is named Dan and Dan went to college and whatnot. And here's Dan in the midst of his college years, his family experienced a tragedy and his father unexpectedly passed away. He had to quit college and move home and take care of his family. Well, he's from Cottage Grove, Oregon, and we're from Roseburg, Oregon. The two towns are only 45 minutes apart, but they met in Bible College in North Dakota. Go figure. So when Kathy moved back to Oregon, he had heard that Kathleen had moved back to Oregon, but he had remembered her as the girl that he had a crush on during his Bible years. But because of the tragedy that happened with his father, there wasn't an opportunity to pursue her. He had to go home and take care of his family. But when he heard that she had moved back to Oregon and was only 45 minutes away, he was like, oh, God, is this the time? Because that girl that I had interested in in college is now only 45 minutes south of me here in Oregon. Can I pursue? And the Lord says, not yet, son, be about my business. So as he was about God's business, then the Lord says, I want you to go to Colorado Spring to be a part of the worship ministry here at this church. And so Dan obediently went, and a couple years more pass. And he's like, whatever happened to that girl, Kathleen? I, I bet she's married now. And he'd just been thinking about her a couple weeks prior. And then at the end of worship, two weeks later, he looks up, and there she is sitting in a few rows back. And during transition, he runs to her, and he's like, so hey, do you remember me? My name's Dan. I went to college with you. And she says, oh, I, I, I might be moving here, and I need to look for an apartment. He says, I'll pick you up at 2 o'clock. I should have some great apartments. I'll show you. There's even some nice ones where I live. What's my point? That young man ended up being my brother-in-law. He ended up being the answer to the prayer. He ended up being the person in which my sister had prayed for, didn't want to make the move without, but ended up making the move too. And isn't it amazing how sometimes we can be crying up in the hotel room when our answer is calling from the lobby? 
that sometimes we don't even see the whole thing that God is doing. All we see is what we're having to walk through, what we're having to face. We don't even understand that in the midst of us crying on the bed, saying, oh God, it's never going to change, Lord. I told you I didn't want to do this way. And we get a phone call, we get a text, we get an opportunity, we get an open door. And if we just have the courage to walk through things without a prerequisite for what we're requiring it to look through, that's the place of resurrection. It's the place of encounter. It's the place of breakthrough. It's the place of the promise of God. But you got to get the courage to do things even though they might look different than what you expect. See, I don't know about you, but when God starts prophesying resurrection power, there's a journey to walk that out. There's a journey to encounter what does that look like in my life. And of course, I'm reminded of the story of Lazarus. We're going to read through it. I'm going to do the ESPN version. I'm just taking highlights because there's 44 verses. And so we, we're not going to read 44 verses. So I'm going to read highlight portions. I encourage you to read it in its entirety because it's power-packed with wisdom and truth. We're going to start in verse 1. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. It says, A man named Lazarus was sick, and he lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured out the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick, so the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it will happen for for the glory of God, so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Say two days. Verse 17, when Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Say four days. Verse 19, when many of the people had come to console Mary and Martha in their loss, when Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother wouldn't have died, but even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said he will rise when everyone else rises in the last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection. Say resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord. She told him, I've always believed you're the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who came into the world from God. Then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher is here and wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. Verse 32, when Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell, say fell, at his feet and said, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would have not died. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within in him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him, he asked him. They told him, Lord, come and see. Verse 43, then the Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and his feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told him, unwrap him and let him go. Such a power-packed portion of scripture, and I only read you part of it. But I read you the essence of you being able to encounter the resurrection power of God. Here's what's interesting. There's a few things I felt like the Lord wanted me to pull from this passage of Scripture simply to set a foundation 
for what I believe he wants to impart this morning. Isn't it interesting that Jesus got the report of his dear friend, that's the words in the word of God, his dear friend Lazarus, they sent the report to him and he waited two days. Isn't that different than what you and I would expect from a dear friend. I don't know about you, but I do have an expectation that my friends and my families better show up in the time of crisis. Who's with me? That if I am fighting for my life, I am expecting my mom and dad to get the anointing oil, to get at my hospital bed with my husband, with my family, with my friends, and, and pray resurrection power over my... I expect people to show up before the death happens. I expect people to rally around me before it is fatal. Does anyone else have that expectation? I'm not looking for them to show up after the fact. I'm looking for my community to show up in the moment. So isn't it an odd response that Jesus, who it says in the word, loved this man. These were dear friends. These are people they spent time with. They shared meals with. They enjoyed each other. They had conversation. They did life together. He gets the word. And he waits two full days. Can you imagine being a disciple of Jesus and watching how he's treating one of his good friends? Would that make you question how he would treat you? Because don't we often take a conclusion from how people treat their closest friends to how they're going to treat us? So imagine how that would kind of rock your brain a little bit. How you'd kind of go, hey, Jesus, day one. You get, you get, you get the, did you get the report? Jesus is like, yeah, it won't end in death. Well, I mean, they said it was pretty serious. Like, he's, like, fighting for his life. Like, you want to head out? I'll, like, pack your bag. He's like, no, we're good. We'll, we'll stay. And they're like, wow, bold. Okay. Uh, and then, like, day two, right? And they're like, oh, he's definitely going to want to go back now. Hey, Jesus, like, it's probably kind of serious. Like, we haven't gotten any word, but it's, like, it's a ways there. Should we go? He's like, no, we're good. Two days pass. And then Jesus actually says, let's go. And I don't know about you, but if I was a disciple, I'm just being honest in my humanity, I'd be like, bro, it's kind of late. It's kind of late to show up. Like, they may not be so excited to show you, because you know those people, right? We're all kind of like that. Let's just be honest in our humanity. You're kind of like, well, why would you even show up? Because there's a timeline in which you're allowed to show up, and it's acceptable. Right? We have that with each other, and we've certainly imposed that on God. Like, if you don't show up within this timeline, if you're that late to the party, then, like, why did you even come? Like, why did you even make the effort? Because you clearly didn't want to be here. So we make these conclusions and these assumptions by someone's delayed response. But see, with Jesus, we have to understand that delay is not denial. That sometimes we look at the delay, it's a two-day wait, but then it's a two-day trek, which makes, what was that second number we read? Four. So by the time he arrives at the situation, not only has the sickness turned to death, you're four days deep. That means you're probably like embalmed at that point. You're like getting prepared for the burial at that point. And in fact, we learn from scripture, he's been buried. They, they went to the place he was buried. So Jesus not only didn't show up for the sickness, 
He didn't even show up for the funeral. He didn't show up for the mourning. He didn't show up for the ceremony. I mean, in you and I's estimation, it is beyond unacceptable. It is not only is it rude, it's like I'm putting your name on the list. I'm going Irish style on you. I, I, I'm taking, I'm writing your name in the, my book. And I'm writing it in pen. And I'm crossing it out. My family's Irish. I can say this. Like, there's no redemption from that. Like, you didn't, you didn't show up when we called on you. You didn't even show up for the ceremony. You didn't even show up to grieve. You didn't even show up to share your condolences. And you interpret the delay as denial. When all the delay is, is a divine setup. But if you don't know the heart of Jesus in the midst of the delay, like Dustin nailed it last night, if you don't know the source of who God is in the midst of the contradictions of your life, in the midst of the missed timelines, the missed marks, the missed moments when you're like, this is when you were supposed to show up. Why, why would you even show up now? Your expectancy isn't even existent because the time has so passed. The grave clothes are wrapped. The stone is rolled. It's done deal. And then God, excuse me, Jesus, has the guts to waltz into town four days later. If that doesn't rock with your faith. But I think there's a lot of us. We like the idea of resurrection. We like the idea that God can breathe life into dead things. But we don't like the idea that it has to die in order to be resurrected. There has to be a death in order to have new life. See, had Jesus gone... He would have done what everyone expected. He would have brought the healing. Everyone could believe for healing. They had seen healing, right? They, they knew he could do that. They could believe for that. But as soon as the breath left Lazarus' body, all of a sudden it became impossible for any sort of resurrection, impossible for any sort of solution. Because healing was off the table. He didn't need healing anymore because he was dead. And what they could believe for was now gone. So now they're like, it's done. See, I believe that how Jesus responded to bring resurrection power is everything about a strategy for us to tap into this. What did Jesus do? He removed the mourners. He removed the negative report. He removed the people in verse 37 that we read that came to conclusions that if he would have really loved him, he would have shown up. If he would have really loved him, he could have healed him. See, the mourners in the midst of their grief and their trauma, and we have a lot of grief and we have a lot of trauma in our nation. So we have a lot of narratives going around and we have a lot of people speaking on behalf of Jesus, but do they really know him? And see, I believe in this moment of resurrection, 
power that I believe God is bringing in North America. We've heard about resurrection power in other nations and third world countries, but in a sense, America's always viewed ourselves in a sense like, we don't need that. We have so many comfort zones, so many plans, B, C, D, E, and F. Things haven't even gotten dead enough for us to need the resurrection power. But in this season of a global pause, in this season of so much loss and what feels like death, it's actually not death. It's actually resurrection. Can I prophesy over the dead things in your life? Can I prophesy over the places in your life that feel dead? That business, the hope, the dream, the prodigal, the marriage, the finances, whatever it may be. Can I prophesy that what looks dead, what looks four, day de- four days dead, can I declare some good news to you? That we serve a four-day dead God. That we serve a God that nothing's too dead for him. We serve a God that it can be in the tomb. It can be wrapped in the grave clothes. It can have a not a good diagnosis. No one can show up, but God is still going to bring resurrection power. Can we receive the good news that it's possible? Can you receive the impartation that nothing is too off limits for God? Did you know that nothing is too dead? It could be four days. It could be four months. It could be four years. It could be four decades. And it's never too dead for God. It could have no connection to a life source, no connection to blood, to oxygen, to water, whatever it may be. It may be fully disconnected, fully isolated, and yet in one moment with the power of God, it can come and breathe the resurrection, the ruah of God, the breath of God, and life appears in a moment. Is it possible? It's absolutely possible. See, we have been led for too long by what we see in the natural, but friends, more than ever, God is saying, can you see things in the spirit? Can you be led of my spirit? See, Jesus was led by the report of the Lord. He heard the Father say, this will not be until death. Therefore, he wasn't racing. He wasn't stressed out. He didn't drop everything. He wasn't in a rush. He didn't feel the need to be in a hurry because he already knew the end of the story. And he actually knew he wasn't late. He knew he was right on time. He knew he had to give some time and some uh, waiting period. He knew he had to make it four days dead in order for God to get all the glory. Because had he been there maybe a little bit earlier, maybe the medical community could have taken some credit. Maybe this doctor could have taken some credit. This person's prayers could have taken some credit. This per- whatever. Fill in the blank. Someone could have taken credit for this. But when it's four days dead, when the stone's been rolled, when the grave clothes have been wrapped around it, no one's getting credit for that. And God's like, for my glory. And he will not share it. But for his glory. But there's some of you in this room and that are listening online where you're in a situation And it's dead, dead. It's not fresh. It's old. It's been dead a long time. And I feel in my spirit, specifically to things connected with the medical community, things with your health, God's like, I'm breathing life into things that feel dead. You thought diabetes was your life sentence. 
God's like, I'm breathing life into that pancreas, which isn't producing insulin. I'm healing your body. You might have been dealing with this for 40 years. And guess what? In one moment, in the rule of God, the breath of God, the life of God, a life source comes back in that pancreas creative, creatively begins to function fully. Insulin is produced. Why? In this moment, I believe someone is being healed of diabetes because you're in the resurrection power of Jesus. There's someone with chronic migraines. You're getting healed right now. You thought this was your normal. You have been to the doctor. There's been so many diagnoses of like what you can do. And I just heard the Lord say, in one touch with me, it's gone. Chronic migraines are being healed right now in Jesus' name. See, I believe God is breaking the boxes of how and what we can believe him for. He is doing things different than he's ever done. And yet we love the idea of that, but walking it out isn't pretty and it isn't easy. It requires us to be uncomfortable. It requires us to not fill in the blanks when there is the delay, the misunderstanding. And to know who he is even in the midst of the waiting how many of us in here are waiting for that miracle? And yet God never changes. You're waiting for your healing. Oh, but God is the healer. You're waiting for breakthrough, and he is Baal Perizim, Lord of the breakthrough. Do you see it? There is the waiting, and yet there's the manifestation. They've never been closer. They've never been more accessible. Can, can you hear that, church? See, Lazarus getting raised from the dead is incredible. But if you notice before the resurrection, there was a conversation with both Mary and Martha that Jesus had. That I believe, leading up to the moment of resurrection of Lazarus, that is most important for us to take a moment and look at. See, that conversation we read with Jesus when he's coming to raise Lazarus from the dead, we read it at the beginning, and Jesus encounters Martha first. And on his way to see about Lazarus, four days past the time they sent for him, what does Martha do? She comes to Jesus and she's like, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus responds and says, Martha, who am I? Am I not the resurrection? And he begins to tell her who he is. He begins to tell her his intention, which she doesn't understand. And she says, I know he'll be raised. I, I know he'll be raised with everyone else. She's not getting it because she's never seen it. She didn't know it was on the table. She didn't know it was a possibility. All she can see is what isn't happening. All she can focus on is he didn't show up. All she can see is that he's there four days too late. After that conversation, what does Martha do? She goes and she gets Mary. And what does Mary do? She runs to Jesus and she falls on her knees. And she says to Jesus, oh, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus looks at Mary and he says, where is she? Where is he? And Mary goes right over here. So Jesus follows Mary to the grave. 
And it's there that we read in scripture that he says, Lazarus, come out. And it's in that moment that Lazarus is resurrected and the grave clothes come off and both Mary and Martha get their brother back. But the question we have to ask is why did Martha get a lecture and Mary get Lazarus? Two sisters, two conversations, two very different responses from Jesus. But I think we find the answer in Luke 10. Verse 38 through 42, I'll quickly read it. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha had opened up her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who also sat at the feet, listening, say listening, listening to what Jesus said. But Martha had, was distracted, say distracted, by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister's left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Jesus says, Martha, Martha, when Jesus says your name twice, you better watch out. <laughs> Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen which is better, say better, and it will not be taken away from her. See, it's one thing, like Martha, to welcome Jesus into your house. But it's another thing to welcome what he came to do. See, Martha said, come into my house. I'll make you a meal. I'll make you comfortable. You'll have clean sheets, a nice bed. But Mary sat at the feet of Jesus. And in the teaching and in the sharing of Jesus saying, this is who I am. She was getting an impartation. And how do I know that? Because that word listening that I had you repeat, when you look at the original, the word listening in that text actually means rapt attention and to absorb. At the feet of Jesus, Mary sat and she absorbed the teachings of Jesus. She absorbed every word. She absorbed every impartation. And remember, this is before Lazarus got sick. So this is them building relationship, building family. She's at the feet of Jesus. She's hearing who she is. She's discovering who's in her home. And Martha is busy with tradition, and she's doing this or that, and she's trying to make it so nice, and her motive and her intent is good. But she's missing, and even Jesus says so, the good part. See, she's doing all the things that can be taken away from her, but what does Jesus say about Mary? She's going to receive the one thing that can never be taken away from her. So fast forward, this is, happens initially, and then Lazarus gets sick, which is what we've been talking about. Then Lazarus dies, and then Jesus comes, and he encounters the two sisters, and Martha comes with her hand on her hip. She's like, if you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. I don't even know what that accent was. <laughs> but what does Mary do? She comes once again, and she gets on her knees, and she gets on the to the feet of Jesus. Why is that so important? Because what Jesus did in that moment, the lecture was him repeating what he had already said. Because Martha missed it the first round. She was so distracted 
when Jesus was in the house. He had already gone through all of that. But because she was busy, she was distracted, she missed the first lesson. And the lesson was, do you know who I am? So when he encountered Martha on the way for resurrection, she had missed the memo. She had missed the teaching. She was absent that day in class. But Mary wasn't. She understood who was coming. She may not have understood resurrection power, but she understood who the Messiah was. So she got to the place where she once was, where she had absorbed, and she fell at his feet once again and said, if you had been here. And instead of getting a lecture, she got her brother back. Instead of getting a lecture, she got resurrection power. See, we wonder, how do you tap into resurrection? It sounds so glamorous. It sounds so big. It sounds so fancy and shiny, friends. Mary shows us exactly how to do that. In Luke 10, we see Mary at Jesus' feet in the home. In John 11, like we read this morning, She's at his feet saying, if you would have been here for my brother. But in John 12, just one chapter later, this is the same Mary who's pouring oil on the feet of Jesus just six days before his burial, anointing him for that moment. What is the posture that Mary has in every encounter with Jesus? It's at his feet. In every encounter, she's coming to Jesus. She's at his feet. It's not loud. It's not shiny. It's not big. It's not overproduced. It's not hyped. It's not Northern America. It's simple. It's humble. It's desperate. That's all it is. It's called at his feet. I know I came in loud this morning. Resurrection power. But I did that intentionally. So you would see the contrast. It doesn't have to be big, loud, boisterous. See, we get so busy like Martha. Yes, there are things we have to do. There is a practical side of life. I understand that. However, let us not get distracted and miss the moments at his feet. Let us not miss the moment. Come on, church in America. Come on, Dallas. Come on, church 1132. Come on. We went through 2020. If you come out the same into 2021, you have missed it. 2021, if you are not finding yourself at the feet of Jesus, I want to invite you to the posture that Mary shows us in this moment. You want to see the signs, the wonders, and the miracle. You want to tap into the things of God in this moment and in this hour. Friends, it's found at his feet. There's an invitation of intimacy that will tap into the miraculous. But friends, let us not bypass the impartation, the opportunity to absorb who he is. Because what you absorb in this season is what will produce the resurrection in the next season. Yeah. 